you do, it's, it's about knowing Christ and having a relationship with Him. If you want to turn to Romans chapter 2, We're going to be looking at verses 17 through 29. We're kind of picking up steam for a little while as we are going through this book of Romans, uh, chapter 2, 17 through 29 today. Indeed, you are called a Jew and rest on the law and make your boast in God and know His will and approve the things that are excellent being instructed out of the law and are confident that you yourselves are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. That's uh, too, too hot, I think, Jason. Thank you. So let's, let's stop there for a moment. We'll consider uh, these few verses. First of all... Um, Having the light is not the same as following the light. Indeed, you are called a Jew. You call yourself a Jew. You go by that name. Did I drop out again? Not like it's... No? Okay. <laughs> um, they, they went by the name Jew. They also went by the name Israelites. If you refer to the location in which they lived, they lived in Israel, and so they went by Israelites, but if you talk to them as a people group, they were Jews. The word Jew comes from the word Judah, one of the sons of uh, Jacob, one of the 12 tribes of Israel, Judah. In the history of Israel, um, Israel eventually became divided into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, and the, the southern kingdom down in Judea was, was occupied by, uh, principally by the tribe of Judah, but also by Benjamin. Judah became the dominant tribe, and Jerusalem was located there, so it became really the center. Eventually, the northern tribe so rebelled against God that he, he carried them away baptive, uh, captive, and only Judah was left for a while. But then they too followed in suit, and uh, uh, that's when the Babylonian captivity happened, and they were carried away. But the last people to dwell in the land and have claim on it and to occupy Jerusalem were, was Judah. And so after they got transported to Babylon, they, they took on the name Jew, short for Judah. The word Judah itself means praise or praised, which the Jews thought was a good name for them since they were the special people of God. Uh, blessed by God, they were to call them praised. Was that was a pretty good name? And they considered that the world was two kinds of people: the praised and the pagans, the the Jews and the heathen. And so Paul here says, "Indeed, you are called a Jew," um, or it could be taken as a middle reflexive: "You call yourself a Jew." But anyways, that's the, the name that they went by. As descendants of Abraham, 
They were to be a channel of blessing to the whole world. Remember how God said to Abraham, through you and your descendants, I will bless the whole world. And so they were to bless others, yet they didn't live that out. And in fact, Jonah's reluctance to go to the Ninevites and proclaim repentance to them because he feared they might actually listen to him and repent and not be destroyed by God. That kind of attitude was typical of the Jewish mindset. Instead of seeking to be a blessing to others in the world, they, they just kind of gathered to themselves. Um, Paul speaks of uh, five claims to religious privilege that they have in verses 17 and 18. First of all, you, you rest on the law. This is where they placed their security. In fact, if you were to ask a Jew, if you were to die tonight and stand before God in heaven and he said, why should I let you in? Because we have the law. We are people of the law. Things kind of change for them over time. In fact, the, in the Talmud, which is the, the Jewish commentary on the Old Testament, it is declared that a study of the law is equivalent to the keeping of all its commandments. So what, what happened through, through time in the life of uh, the religious life of, of the Jews was that at the beginning, they had to not only have but follow the word of God, the law. But then it came down to just studying it and then to just reading it. And you know how in the synagogue someone would get up every Sabbath day and read the law and that to them was sufficient for their religious life someone read the law and finally it got down to just having it just just having a copy in your local synagogue that was like a talisman uh, a good luck charm it kept you safe you had the law you because they were people of the law since God had given them the law he was going to watch out for them so you you rest on the law. You boast in God. Well, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Remember what Jeremiah 20, uh, excuse me, 923 says, Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. They made their boast in God, but God wanted to remind them who he was. If you boast, boast in that you understand and know me and the kind of God I am. I rejoice in these kinds of things, love and, and righteousness. Their third claim to religious privilege is you know God's will. Well, because they had God's law, they could say we, we know God's will. Here's what he has declared for us. You know God's will, of course, knowing his will and doing his will, as we know, often two different things. Fourth, you approve the things that are excellent. In other words, not only did the Jews 
because they had the law, um, not only were they able to tell right from wrong, good from bad, but they were able to, among the good things, pick out what was excellent, to tell what was essential, what was necessary for a godly life. You are able to approve the things that are excellent. And fifth, you are instructed out of the law. In fact, the, the, the Old Testament became their school book. Imagine this, instead of going to uh, classes like we have these days, they just learned the Bible. They memorized huge portions of it. The Bible was their history book. They didn't have to learn uh, European history or um, all the kinds of history that we have today. It's a, that's the advantage of... Uh, of living a long time ago, there was a lot less history. <laughs> right, Joel? <laughs> and just think of all the history that's been written in the last 50 years or so, the things that have happened. And, but but they, they, they used the Old Testament as their history book. The, um, the account of, of Joseph and uh, Egypt and the Exodus and all those things. They studied those in detail. They, that was is their geography book. It was their political science book. It was their economics book. It was their school book. You are instructed out of the law. They should have really known it. So that was, there are five claims of religious privilege. And next there are five claims of religious superiority in verses 19 and 20 says you are confident of these things. You, you, you are confident. You, you are sure that this is true of you. That you are a guide to the blind. Compared to you, other people are blind. You, you are a light to those who are in darkness. Listen to uh, Isaiah 42 verses 5 through 7. Thus says God the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread forth the earth and that which comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness and will hold your hand. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles, to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from prison, those who sit in darkness from the prison house. So they were to be uh, a light to those who were in darkness, a guide to the blind. And, and they, they apply that to themselves. Now later on, that is applied to Jesus. He actually fulfills this. But they would have said that was true of them. That was what they were to do. They didn't follow through on it, but that's what they were to do. To do. In fact, Jesus called the uh, Pharisees blind guides. He says, and if the blind lead the blind, they're both going to fall into the ditch. You are an instructor of the foolish. And of course, the book of Hebrews is replete with warnings against the fool. And a call for wisdom and not being a fool. And the, the Jews looked at Outsiders as just being not only blind and in darkness, but foolish and like little children. 
You are a teacher of babies or little children. And this is how they, they looked at the Gentiles who became proselytes, who wanted to become God-fearers. They never fully accepted them, but looked at them always as your little children, and you need to learn from us. Having a form of knowledge and truth in the law. Well, the law did contain knowledge and truth. Now, we talk about had them having the law. What, what was the word that, that they had? Excuse me. Jesus said in his high priestly prayer in John 17, the night he was shared the, the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper with his disciples, and he prays for them uh, just before he goes out to the garden. And as he's talking to the Father, he says, Father, sanctify them through your truth. Your word is truth. Well, what word of truth do they have at that moment, at that time? They had the Old Testament, right? They had, because the New Testament hadn't been written yet. The cross hadn't happened yet. And, of course, all the, all the word is God's truth. But what was available to them was the Old Testament. That was God's truth as revealed up to that time. So they did have this, uh, they did have access to the truth. Next was uh, five questions of religious consistency, starting at verse 21. <clears throat> you therefore who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You who say, do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? So he asked them five questions. All of them have to do with religious consistency. Are they, if you know these things, are you really living them? And of course, the, the bottom line issue here is hypocrisy, isn't it? Really, are you walking the talk? You who teach, since you, um, you are a teacher, instructor of the foolish and children and babes and so forth, are you who therefore teach another, you, um, do you not also teach yourself? Are you, are you hearing what you're saying? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You, you who say don't commit adultery, do you commit adultery? It may be that these two sins here were particularly picked out because they were um, some of the most common problems among uh, the Jews. The problem with... Um, unfair balances and stealing from people, that sort of thing, and committing adultery. Remember in, in Matthew 19, where Jesus talks about divorce and remarriage, and the, the Jews, are, the, the Pharisees, excuse me, are really trying to press this issue of uh, the letter of the law. Can we, can, can we divorce a woman for any reason? And that's what they were doing. And the way that they would be able to have multiple wives is if their wife didn't uh, 
please him in some small matter they'd just get rid of her and the wife had no recourse back then and the guy would just marry someone else and right down the line and they were abusing that the um, Deuteronomy 24 that's what Matthew 19 is about and, and so evidently they had a problem both with stealing and adultery there's an interesting one that number four is that you who abhor idols do you rob temples uh, may have to do with Malachi chapter 3 the last book of the Old Testament Malachi 3 verses 8 through 10 God, God asked him will you rob God and they answer in what way would we rob God and God answers in the, your tithes in that when you bring an offering to the Lord it is corrupt Instead of, they, instead of taking the best of the lamb, you would take something that is broken. You take the least of them to give as an offering. You, instead of giving God the best, you give him the least. And in that way, God says, you rob temples. You rob God. It could be that something like that is in mind. <clears throat> but the connection in this verse with you who abhor idols suggests that perhaps another uh, something else in addition may, may be in view. The Jews rightfully disdained idols. I mean, they, were, they really had a problem with idolatry up until their Babylonian captivity. They, they finally learned their lesson when they came back to the land uh, and the sect of the Pharisees was started after that. Uh, they had nothing to do with idols from then on. Uh, they rightly learn to abhor idols, disdain them. And because they thought the idols were nothing, they had no power, they, they didn't mean anything, they were just statues of, of uh, silver or gold or wood or stone or whatever. Um, you could take one without the god of whatever this idol represented, having any repercussions on you. And because, I mean, after all, people who wanted them were, were falling prey to idolatry, they were probably doing them a favor by taking them. The idea of robbing temples is mentioned uh, one other place in the New Testament, and it's in Acts chapter 19 where Paul comes to Ephesus. And there's quite an uproar in the city, and the town clerk comes to the defense of Paul and his co traveling companions saying, well, at least they, even though they're Jews, haven't robbed our temples. As if this was a common thing. If someone, a Jew, came to your town, you would guard your temples. At least they didn't rob our temples. There's one more interesting thing. The verb here for rob temples is one word in Greek. It's hiresoluo. Became a Greek nickname, a derogatory name for the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So if a Jew traveling from Jerusalem, someone said, where, where are you from? I am a Jew from Jerusalem. And instead of saying they were the Greek-speaking person said, well, then you're Hiresaluo. Instead of Jerusalem, you are Hiresaluo. You are a temple robber. 
there was a play on words. Evidently, it was a problem in that time. You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? <clears throat> 23, you who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through, you, through breaking the law? You hold the law up as this is, our, this is the basis of our standing with God, but then you break the very thing upon which you say you stand. And then Paul brings it all to one devastating conclusion in verse 24. This, all these privileges that they had in spite of them Verse 24 says, For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, as it is written. In Isaiah 52 and other places, this was declared of them, not only from ancient time, but even in Paul's day was being all the more declared. God is blasphemed. His name is ill spoken of. In the world because of the religion of the Jews. So having the light is not the same as following the light. Secondly, external conformity is not the same as internal devotion. Verses 25 to 27. <clears throat> For circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. But if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. And therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you who even with your written code and circumcision are a transgressor of the law. The purpose of circumcision it <clears throat> was initiated back in the time of Abraham. In fact, if, uh, let's take a moment to go back to Genesis chapter 17. Genesis 17, let's start at verse 1. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am Almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, as for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. 
And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you and their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. Also, I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan, as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised. And you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised, every male child in your generations. He who is born in your house or bought with money or from any foreigner who is not your descendant, and so forth. And so it started with Abraham and, and uh, the males in his household, even his servants, then were circumcised that day. Then after that, it was to be every male child born on the eighth day precisely, they were to be circumcised. And that was to serve as a, as a sign of this covenant that, that God was separating for himself a, a special people that would be uh, descendants from Abraham. They were to be different from all the other people of the world, separate from them. And, and this was a sign of that, the difference, something that marked them out as God's people. Well, of course, through the generations and generations and hundreds of years, people lost sight of the importance of the meaning of the, the covenant and just referred back to the promise and said, well, we are, we're God's people. Forgetting the part about God saying, follow my ways, obey my commandments to all your generations. Oh, yeah, yeah, he said that too, but... We were circumcised on the eighth day. Now back to Romans chapter 2. <clears throat> the purpose of circumcision was to mark them off as a special people of God, people who followed God, obeyed Him, honored Him, and so forth. And what Paul is arguing here is that um, if, if an uncircumcised person keeps the righteous requirements of the law, isn't that better than being circumcised? See, obedience is better than circumcision. As uh, King Saul found out in 1 Samuel 15, obedience is better than sacrifice. God just doesn't want just some outward form or demonstration from us that we're religious, but obedience from the heart. Obedience is better than circumcision. But as uh, the Jews found out, being religious is easier than being righteous, isn't it? We we'll always tend to kind of gravitate toward that. If, if someone could give you a list of just five things, just do these five things, check off these boxes, and, and you'll be fine in, in your standing before God. Just remember, each week you've got to do those five things. Okay. 
that would be a lot easier than righteousness from the heart. The external conformity to law and rules and regulations is always so much easier than a heart change. And that's what Paul is pointing out to them. External conformity is not the same as internal devotion. And finally, physical birth is not the same as spiritual birth. Verse 28 and 29. For he is not a Jew who, who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. There's a difference between being a national Jew and a spiritual Jew, or being a, uh, just born a Jew and being a true Jew. <coughs> Look very briefly at three passages. Romans um, chapter 9, verse 6 through 8. Uh, the, the Jews who enjoyed very many pri- privileges, of course, including having received the law and, and all those things. Uh, verse 6 says, But it's not that the, the word of God has taken no effect, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel, nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham. But in Isaac your seed shall be called. That is... Those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of promise are counted as seed. For this is the word of promise, at this time I will come to Sarah and she shall have a son and so forth. Remember, Abraham had Ishmael first. Well, through, through Hagar. But Ishmael was not the son, son, of, son of promise, even though he was a true physical son of Abraham. And the point here is it's, it's like that. It's not just being a descendant of Abraham, any old descendant. But even as we see back there, God was making a distinction. It'd be a descendant from Isaac. And that might be a promise because all the time it was meant to be of the promise related back to faith. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. That's the basis of the promise. And so we see in Galatians... If you want to turn there to Galatians chapter 3. Starting at verse 6. Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. You see it not only relates back to him. Therefore... Know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. For the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. That's what God had in mind back then when he said that. Foreseeing that he would not just work through Abraham and his descendant Isaac and 
the Jews, but broader than that, eventually to all the Gentiles, that it would be a faith that people would have a relationship with him. Chapter 5, while we're in Galatians, chapter 5, verse 6. <clears throat> For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. That's what counts. Not some outward conformity, a mere sign, but faith working through love. Galatians 6, 15. <clears throat> For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation is what matters. Having new life in Christ. In fact, speaking of boasting in God, back up one verse here to verse 14. For God forbid that I should boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Go back to Romans chapter 2. <clears throat> That's what Paul is getting at. The physical birth is not the same as spiritual birth. The difference between being a national Jew and a, a spiritual Jew and actually being a spiritual descendant of Abraham, having a faith like Abraham and the one true God. And finally, a heart of praise makes an eternal difference. As we saw in Galatians 5 and 6, it's not circumcision that makes any difference, but faith working through love and a new creation, having a, a new heart. And so in verse 29 we read, <clears throat> But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and the circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit. So when your heart has been changed, when your heart has been set aside for God, when the Spirit has worked in you to enlighten your eyes and enable you to see the beauties of Christ, and that He died for your sin, not in the letter, but in the Spirit. Then this curious ending whose praise is not from men, but from God. Another wordplay, I believe, because Jew, remember, the word Jew, that's where we began in verse 17, you were called a Jew from the name of the tribe of Judah. And what does Judah mean? Praise. So what he's saying here, this play on words, whose, whose Jewishness, whose praise whose Jewishness is not from men, but from God. That's true Jew. Now, just quickly to apply this for a moment to ourselves, it's one thing to look at this, verse 17, you who are called a Jew, and to think about all the privileges they had and how they kind of squandered them and misunderstood them and didn't follow through on them and didn't um, 
glorify God by their life. Well, how about if this were changed just a word? You who are called Christian. We start at verse 17 over that way. You who call yourself a Christian. And you have the book. You, you have the word. You make your boast in the word. You've got a copy of it sitting on your dining table or in your living room, on your dresser where it sits there every week so you know right where to get it when Sunday morning comes. It's handy. You have a copy of it, leather-bound, indexed, cross-referenced, footnoted, concordance in the back, color maps. You've got it. Call yourself a Christian. You've got his word in the latest study edition. You look at others who are outside, who don't claim to be Christians. You see them as being blind, walking in darkness, like children who don't know their own way. You are instructor to babes. You who make your boast in God and the fact that you have his word, do you break his word? You who, who call yourself a Christian and say, I am a Christ one, a Christ follower, do you blaspheme the name of God in this world by your conduct in this life? You say, not only am I called a Christian, I have his, his word and I attend church and in fact, I've been through the rite of baptism. I'm a baptized Christian. That should count for something. Let me ask you, there's someone out there who maybe doesn't even have a copy of this good book who hasn't been baptized but they love Christ is that not better than your baptism is that not better than you having a copy of this book when we read a passage like this it's easy for us to look back at those Jews scorned them. Maybe God would have us look at ourselves. Let's pray. Our Lord and God, we, we thank you for the faithfulness of your word to pierce our hearts, awaken our conscience. Lord, we repent for calling ourselves those who follow you, but not living like it, not giving clear evidence to the world that we are Christ ones. We pray that you would forgive our sin, 
remove our guilt, renew your spirit within us, and allow us, enable us to walk in the power and life of your spirit this week. I pray for each one here, Lord, um, we each know our own hearts in ways that we uh, might be denying your name or not fully living for you. But I also pray for any who perhaps have never made their a profession of faith in you. Are there are any here today who, who know that they have sinned and realize that you have died for them that they might come in faith to you and know you as the only true God and Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. We're going to close with a song um, which really kind of uh, encapsulates the, the importance here, and that is knowing God. It's, it's not about what we do. It's not about keeping some regulations. It, it's